0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the E-commerce unlocked podcast where we cut the fluff and we talk about the stuff, right? Where we're talking about e-commerce, actual strategies, and tactics that you can implement in your e-commerce business today. Um, today's gonna be a fun one. We've got Joe Spizak on the uh, on the line. He's gonna be talking to us a little bit about three PLs, four PLs, seven PLs, all the PLs. Um, And, uh, he's, he's honestly, he's got a really interesting background. So I'm not gonna, I'm, I can't do it justice. I'm going to hand it over to Joe, give us just like a quick intro into like your experience, uh, where you come from your perspective and, and then, uh, and then we'll jump off from there.
1: Yeah, sure thing. And I'm, I'm rocking the the headphones right now. And that intro music just (laughs) sounded phenomenal in my, my Apple (laughs) headphones. Yeah. I was kind of really bumping. Yeah. Um, but yeah, quick, quick intro on me. So Um, Currently, I am the CEO of Fulfill.com, which I founded a little over two years ago. Um, Before that, I started a couple different e-commerce companies uh, in the tabletop board game space. Um, And then because of um, uh, unhappiness with the 3PLs I was using while shipping the board games, I ended up starting my own 3PL company called Ship Daddy and sold that a couple years ago, too. So that's kind of how we got to Fulfill.
2: Okay, question on that name, Ship Daddy. That's a fun name. How'd you, how'd you come up with as your backstory? Is that, like, is that like your name on the streets? Like, yo, that's Joe, the ship daddy out there, or how'd that happen?
1: Yeah, yeah. So there is a backstory to that, and I actually was not the ship daddy. So um, I started the company, and um, I asked uh, one of my best friends, a guy named Brady Farrell. Uh, he just got out of the military, just came uh, home from Afghanistan. He was um, working like a retail job. And I was like, dude, I need help shipping my games. Like, Would you want to come work with me? Um, Brady is the most lovable dude in the world. He's got this big, bushy beard. He's a freaking American hero. Um, And so my dad and I, while we were shipping our games out the one day, started calling Brady the Ship Daddy. And (laughs) um, uh, the name stuck, and we decided to build our entire brand at the company around Brady. So our mascot was this cute short little dude with this big bushy beard and um we thought it was hilarious so we built our entire brand uh, around him and it was a it, w- it was a hit like everybody loved our branding <laughs> but that's the story
2: that's awesome what like a flex yeah. having like that's a good like customer employee and a great like employee story like dude our employee was so good we
0: named the like, company after him <laughs> amazing like that is solid out there so great great work on that yeah. That's cool. And honestly, more, more personality than any other warehouse out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's just kind of like an antiquated business, right? Where it's like, yeah, uh, I'm uh, JP420 and that's my, uh, that's my <laughs> warehouse name or whatever. You know, it's just like, there's, it's not very interesting. And so I, I think that brings a cool level of branding. I've looked at the Ship Daddy website and like the, you've branded it like an actual brand, which is something that, you know, 3PLs don't do, which... Props. Like yeah. A huge, huge shout out.
1: Yeah. Thanks for saying that. And that was one of my main goals when starting Ship Daddy was I wanted to kind of bring some sexiness into the e-commerce fulfillment <laughs> community, right? Like there's so, 90% of the logistics companies out there. It's cookie cutter, you know, same pictures. It's just... It's just mm-hmm. really not great to look, look at. And one of the ways I wanted to kind of differentiate ourselves was through our branding. And I think um, that's just so underutilized in the logistics space in general. It's it's never a bad, a bad option to have a great brand, right?
2: Amen no, to that. No. That's something that, I mean, Russell always makes fun of me because I'm always like, dude, supply chain is sexy. Like, let's bring sexy back to no. supply chain. I'm not necessarily bringing sexy <laughs> back to <school laughs> there, but <laughs> let's make <laughs> supply chain sexy. Um, and it's been fun. Well, it's been fun and not fun the past couple of years since COVID that people are actually talking right. about supply chain but before is like this is just this cost center and now everyone's like oh you actually need supply chain and if you're becoming more like in conversations it's coming up more that that makes it more interesting and engaging to talk to talk about um for sure maybe kind of, let's highlight a little bit i think kind of like your story sounds like kind of leads into what you're doing now of those pain points that you had so if you're doing your 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 board games uh tabletop games and then seeing pain points with your 3PLs i think a lot of brands experience that i mean in my career um, working at Nomadic and working with other brands and consulting and whatnot is a lot of brands go from I use a 3PL and then they either want to bring it into self fulfillment, but then see like, hey, that's really expensive to bring it in house to buy the racking, forklifts, or whatever it is. Um, so for you, what were those pain points that you were experienced with your 3PLs that made you go to do self fulfillment, or do you do self fulfillment and then start the 3PL at the same time, or was that a different like transition, or maybe walk you through that process?
1: Yeah. And you're pretty much exactly right. Like how we got to fulfill was based off of all the previous niche experience that we had in the e-commerce space and in the 3PL and warehousing uh, space. And while I was running my brands, I went through three different 3PLs over the course of a year and a half. And after that, I just put my foot down and I'm like, I'm just going to start shipping for myself because I'm losing money. I can't get a hold of anybody and people aren't hitting our shipping SLAs. And that's the three most important things in what you need with a 3PL, right? Yeah. Good, good pricing, people to act as an extension of your business and communicate with you and handle the weird one-offs as they come up, come up periodically. Um, and people that can get your orders out within 24 hours and receive in a reasonable timeline, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, we, we brought that in-house. And um, while I was looking at, at, with my brand, you know, looking for new 3PLs, I, you know, being new to the industries, um, kind of only assumed that there were 25, 40, 50 options for good 3PLs out there. When in reality, there's 15,000 plus e-commerce fulfillment centers in the United States alone. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of really great operators out there. It's just really hard to sift through some of these bigger 3PLs with hundreds of thousands of dollars in marketing bu- budgets on a monthly basis um, when there's lots of lots of good folks. Um, So that's one of the main reasons we created Fulfill was, you know, we offer a free service to brands that lets where we will analyze 500 plus 3PLs across 2,500 plus 3PL locations and narrow it down to the best one to five options for their particular individual scope of works. Um, And that just hasn't existed in our industry up to this point. So.
2: Yeah, amen to that. I mean, I've, I've been in a similar position where we've worked with multiple 3PLs, end up starting our own warehouse slash 4PL type of thing um, for a while. But for you guys, maybe walk through that that process of from the brand, what was like your order volume and things like that? And maybe talk about what size, I guess you have a unique perspective of being a brand then doing your own fulfillment and then offering fulfillment services to others. You kind of see that whole picture of like maybe understanding why Orders go get shipped late. Why receiving's longer, maybe or or whatnot. Um, but when do you see like, hey, a brand should start looking at a three is at a certain size, product type, or uh, walking through that?
1: Yeah. So good question. Um, at my brand, you know, we were doing a couple thousand orders per month, like ten thousand plus orders per month at our peak, but eighty five percent of our order volume for board games was during q four which is the holiday rush which is when you know a lot of people are looking to kind of hunker down and, and play these actual games with their family um, so we were in kind of a unique circumstance um, but what I will say is um, really anytime you start hitting a couple hundred orders per month um, I think that is the the time you want to start looking for a three p l um, you want to obviously save as uh, many costs as you can early on in your e-commerce brand. Um, But it very quickly hits what I call the graduation point where you're spending, you know, 40, 50% of your time packaging everything up, purchasing boxes, driving to USPS, printing these shipping labels, um, where it's just not worth your time when you're scaling your brand. You want to be focusing on um, generating content and creating new product lines and getting new SKUs up and, and, everything that it takes to run and scale and grow a business instead of doing the back-end operations, which is why an overwhelmingly uh, high amount of brands end up outsourcing to a 3PL. It just makes sense from a money perspective.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So You're saying something like probably if your brand hitting more than like three to 500 orders a month, it's probably like, hey, that's when you're starting thinking, let's look at a 3PL option. Let's move this out of my garage and get it into something more substantial then. Does that sound about
1: accurate? Yeah, it it does sound about accurate. And it's totally case by case because you can be doing 200 orders per month and you're shipping furniture and that is still, you know, quality ARR that's going out the door. It really just depends on your brand and depends on what your goals are. And it depends on how quickly you envision that you're able to scale this up as well. Um, You know, it used to be that, you know, there's lots of 3PLs out there that don't have minimum order quantities and still offer really rock solid pricing for smaller brands. People have confused in the past because, you know, some bigger 3PLs, they have 500 order minimum order quantities, or they have minimum spend of $2,000 per month with us if you're going to be in our 3PL. Or, you know, it's like an Amazon model where Um, We're going to charge you more storage for every month that your inventory is in with us so they can basically price you out and kind of force you to remove your inventory from the 3PL. But there's like on our network, we have tons of different great boutique level 3PLs that are great operators can give that high touch hands on experience with shipping and delivery um, and are looking for smaller. Uh, brands because nobody else in the industry necessarily wants to work with them until they're a little bit more established. So it, it's easier to get in with the 3PL earlier and earlier on. You just need to find the right person to partner with. Makes sense.
2: Yeah, the thing with 3PL that I've, I've, I've recognized too is those smaller ones may aren't that profit margin they're trying to hit. We've gotten I've been kicked out of a warehouse because I didn't have enough volume of it, and I was pissed because right. they are there three months and they're like, "Hey, we got a bigger client, you're out." And like we were doing. 8,000 plus orders a month. And they're like, yeah, you're still not big enough. And I was like, screw this, dude, how big do you have to be? And that's when we started our own. I was like, I'm tired of bouncing warehouses. And we, we started our own kind of operation, the same same process. Is yeah. there a time you think that either a brand gets so big or a time where they pull back from a 3PL to bring in-house fulfillment? Or what does that look like? Or is it always like "Hey, 3PL, once you're in a 3PL, you're kind of stuck in the 3PL world or what's your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I don't think you're necessarily stuck in the 3PL world. I just think that it is a huge undertaking to run your own fulfillment. So um, to do so, you really have to be invested and have a good reason to want to run your own fulfillment. So um, uh, these guys actually, uh, I'm wearing this brand called Kill Crew. So they do hundreds of thousands of orders per month. Um, and they went through three different warehouses and now they have a 30 or 40,000 square foot warehouse and they ship all of their own apparel in house. Um, you see this more commonly with brands that have a higher level of complexity in their fulfillment and apparel can fit that entire category, right? So if you're doing print on demand and printing your own clothing, if um, you uh, have a high return in exchange rate, if you have, you know, custom kit staging and kitting responsibilities, if you want to add, you know, a lot of different intric- intricate um, promo items or something like that. Uh, It it, it can make sense to scale with your own fulfillment or potentially bring it in-house. But again, I'll come back to the point of there's lots of flexible fulfillment options out there. And if you don't necessarily have to scale it yourself and you can uh, spend your time and energy focusing on other things in your business, it's just one less thing that you have to take care of. You may be able to... it's a cost benefit analysis. You may mm-hmm. be able to save a couple of percentage points by doing it yourself and setting it all up, but how much more money could you make saving that time that you're spending building that out on more marketing initiatives or adding SKUs and et cetera, et cetera.
0: This is, uh, something that I personally struggle with in my uh, entrepreneurial journey. You know, I've started and worked with nine, uh, e-commerce brands or more, uh, consulted with quite a few more. And, um, I when I start a brand, I, I uh, typically do the wrong thing of like I'll just do everything. Like I'll do the website, I'll do the marketing, I'll do the ads, I'll do the fulfillment, I'll I'll do it all. So with my latest venture, I'm like, okay, I know I can't do that, so I'm hiring an ads guy, I'm hiring a social media uh, person to be able to handle those things for me. Um, and so I'm so I'm kind of in this mindset of like I'm still really small, I'm still doing my own fulfillment just because. So it's actually a brand that I purchased. We've got oh, like 500 active SKUs. And um, yeah, not a ton of orders. So it's kind of like it's it's really complex with and, and nothing's barcoded. Nothing's got actual skus. So you kind of have to know the product. So I'm kind of in this weird situation where like I need to sell through this hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of old inventory that now is not worth what it should be. And so I'm you know, I'm in this weird, weird situation. However, if I'm a brand and I'm coming to you, you we can kind of take my situation as maybe a use case. And I say, "Hey, I need to find a warehouse that can handle me and in my situation, what are like the the things that you talk with brands about? Or like what are the the data points that you bring in that make it so that you can make a good match with uh, one of your uh, one somebody within your network?"
1: Yeah, and you are a really great example because that is um a brand that would be tough for 98% of 3PLs to bring on. Um, you're still, you know, haven't hit super high monthly volume metrics, and you have a really high SKU count. And then the cherry on top is that the SKUs aren't barcoded yet, right? Yeah. So, um, and you're not going to spend money to go back and and barcode everything and, and kind of go through those processes where, with your, at a, a currently as a brand. So like, Your best case scenario would be to try and sell through that. And then while you're replenishing inventory, work directly with your manufacturers to get your individual SKUs barcoded. And then once you do that, you would be at the point where you would be ready to start looking for a 3PL. Um, They would just have to be apparel specific and be able to. Uh, take on customers that weren't doing, you know, a 10 to one order to skew ratio, which is where we see a lot of 3PLs kind of like their sweet spot of customers they're trying to take on. Um, so there's definitely folks out there that would work with you. You would just want to get barcoded, figured out um, yeah. before that. Um, but to come back to answer your question, kind of what um, data points are we looking at whenever we are using our matchmaking algorithm and our matchmaking team? What are they using? to kind of narrow down from our bigger pool of 3PLs to find our top five for a particular scope of work. And there, there's lots of different um, data points, but um, monthly order volume, uh, SKU count, um, vertical that you're selling in. So apparel, electronics, hazmat, hold storage, big and bulky, um, preferred geography, which typically usually coincides on what port your inventory is, is coming in from because we kind of run a, a cost-benefit analysis on how expensive is it going to be to have storage close to that port versus how much is it going to cost to freight that to a more inland 3PL. Um, that's going to have better storage costs, but um, uh, obviously you're going to add in uh, higher freight costs. Um, so those are just some of the categories right there, but you know we start to look at, how much, um, how custom your fulfillment solution needs to be, and then that helps us narrow down to three PLs that have you know more high touch, communicative approaches and stuff as well. So that's that's just a couple of them, but mm-hmm. a, a lot more.
0: Okay, so I'm also kind of curious. How does uh, what's your vetting criteria, criteria for adding a a um a warehouse or a 3PL into your network? So it sounds like you have hundreds already, but like, are you kind of sifting through these and saying, yeah, you fit, you don't, or what's,
1: how, what does that process look like for you guys? Yeah, that's a really good question. And so we go through a whole interview process with every 3PL that joins our network. And part of that process is having them form submit to us lots of different information about their warehouse, about their capabilities, about their ideal customer profile, about current customers that they're shipping for who they've had a lot of success with in the past, who their ideal customer profile is. And, um, we, that's a big part of our vetting process. And, um, once we, you know, get a a brand signed with a 3PL, we keep our eye on that brand and have, you know, periodic communication with them just to make sure, you know, the 3PL is doing everything that they said that they could um and that has worked out really really well for us um we've matched hundreds and hundreds of brands um in 2023 and you know we had made under you know a ha- under a 5 churn uh last year out of hundreds and hundreds of brands and there is a 38% year over year turnover rate with uh brands looking for new 3PLs in in general so we're like massively crushing those numbers um, with With happy customers, um, and then in the future we'll look to tie directly into the warehouse management systems of our three mm-hmm. PLs so we can kind of add this quantitative data driven approach to things as well, which we're we're already kind of beta testing out right now
2: that's sweet that's well, awesome that's, that's huge because I think what you' you're talking about before is um, with Russell's situation like hey you're an apparel brand let's put you with a warehouse that does apparel. I think a lot of brands are in there searching for their own 3 PL. I think a 3PL is like their, their normal reaction is like, hey, we can fulfill anything and we'll do anything. Exactly. And that's just like a red flag. Now that I've kind of learned is like, oh, a, a 3PL that's gonna do any type of product isn't necessarily niche in a certain category, may not be the right fit um, for a certain brand or whatnot. Cause there are different like SLAs, different like ways of handling that product. And that's where we got into some issues as, as well for us when we were with our, our brand and they had a lot of returns that had a higher inspection point that needed to happen. And so while they were saying, "Hey, we're receiving all these uh, pallets of return inventory back into inventory and stock. They just re- didn't inspect anything. We had like a couple hundred pallets in a stowaway spot, not inspected properly or whatnot, and it was causing some major issues. But that wasn't their for that wasn't their their niche. That wasn't what they were doing. Like SLAs and stuff weren't being met because that is like outside their scope. They didn't have time for that or whatever. So I think that's definitely like a big reason why a lot of these brands churn from their three PLs is because yeah, they're not looking at the whole picture." understand there is like specific niches and i also think it's like a disservice on the 3pl side when they're just trying to get business trying to get revenue saying they can do things they can't or can't support um that's where the the churn happens right so I think that's a huge uh, huge thing that gets overlooked um on the 3pl side and on the brand side of of picking out the right partner
0: and moving a warehouse sucks like that's not fun so it's expensive that's a crazy metric that you that you shared what was it 36 percent 38%. 38. Shopify
1: released it in one of their e-commerce logistics annual reports probably Mm -hmm. two or three years back. I'll have to dig it up and send you guys the article. But I saw that like right before we started Fulfill and I was like, all right, this is my sign. Like we need to be helping people out here because moving warehouse absolutely sucks. And um, if it's this high, like I want to be helping people, uh, you know, find the right partner. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and not even to mention the switching cost of of moving warehouses. Like that's, if you're taking, you know, the ideal is you sell out of all your inventory in one warehouse and you load it up in another, and you don't have to take any, you know, containers back and forth. But that's that's a perfect world that doesn't exist. So um, right, yeah. So that's that's impressive.
2: On that note of uh, the three pls you had the churn rate what are some things that either do you think that a brand maybe doesn't do as well that influences that churn or that dissatisfaction? Like how does a brand or a 3PL manage that relationship better? Do you think?
1: Yeah, that's, um, that that's a really good question. And I think a lot of it goes into just transparency during the actual, you know, search for your 3PLs and trying to find the right partner. Right. Like, I think people go in with expect you know people go in with expectations from the brand side of the house and think that their three PL is going to be doing this that or the other and then when it comes to actually delivering on that from an operational perspective when that doesn't happen you know the brands all up in arms because just expectations weren't necessarily aligned but I think a lot of that can be solved by finding the right person through the actual matchmaking process. And that's why it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, a, a major green flag when searching for a 3PL is, have they shipped for a brand very similar to yours in the past? Do they actively ship successfully successfully for brands that look like you guys? And if they do, then that, that tells a really good story. And that's you know one of the main things that you can look for when talking to 3PLs is, hey, let me talk to a couple of brands that look very similar to me that you currently ship for. Boom. You'll be able to make so many assumptions from that, right? They probably have really good parcel rates for the the weight and dimension of what you're shipping at. Um, They probably share your returns processes and can um, mimic something similar to what you'll require at your brand. They probably um, uh, ship really well across um, sales channels that you guys are selling on since you're selling on uh, similar products. Um, et cetera, et cetera. The list kind of goes on and on, so yeah,
2: yeah, I think that was one thing during my career that I think i've I've lacked a lot on was that communication or transparency with the the warehouse. a lot of times, uh it's like, hey, Black Friday's coming up, you just assume the warehouse is gonna staff up, but like providing forecasts and things like that to the warehouse has helped them like, hey, we have X amount orders going out, this sale's coming up, even if it's not Black Friday, you have like a summer sale, you're gonna do communicating that. A lot of brands I think are just like, hey the warehouse should just know what I'm doing. They should be able to get X amount of orders out no matter what every day. Um, if this like one-off occasion comes back, they don't know why that customer is shipping stuff back, creating transparency of like your returns process. What are your main like SLAs? What's your SOP on on processing these returns? I know I made that error a lot. I was like, when this item comes back, of course the warehouse is going to inspect it and make sure they check all these pockets and all this stuff to make sure stuff's not coming back. We have plenty yep. of instances where people were, shipping their bags back with stuff still inside the pockets, they put it back as new inventory, but there's like hundreds of pockets in these bags. They wouldn't know every bag, like pocket to check and, and whatnot. Right. So there is still like a lot of training. I think there's like a misconception where it's like, the 3PL just knows what to do. Like this is where it is. And a 3PL, I mean, I'm sure you experienced that the same. Like the churn rate of a, of a warehouse worker is insane. I feel like in, in yeah. general, it's not like, like the one employee, you're not, you're not working 20 years in a warehouse. Typically it's a couple months, lucky if you get them for a couple of years, I feel. And so yeah. that churn, and them having to get like used to that product and whatnot, you really have to have good documentation and make sure your warehouse sure. Is well. Um, to make yeah, sure know-
1: you're you're spot on, and that's one of the many reasons we're super bullish on working with three PLs that have real time communication with their customers, um, where they have a, a dedicated person that they can reach out to at any time, and on top of that, the person is actually in the warehouse and on the warehouse floor. Um, that is where three PLs truly act as an extension to your brand, and you're not submitting an email support ticket, waiting 72 hours, getting triage down the chain, sure. and saying a prayer that your problem is going to get fixed under two weeks. Like that is an absolute nightmare when it when <laughs> you know you're working with a three PL that has that level uh, of support. But you know the whole goal is not to have to talk to your three PL at all. So if mm-hmm. you can have that real time support. You can um, just let them know when, you know, you have a big sale coming up or you're going to be adding in a couple of new SKUs or um, something inevitably goes wrong in the e-commerce world. Um, so you have that level of accessibility, but y- you don't have to use it. right?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I'm very bullish, probably more on the, like the boutique fulfillment side of stuff. the am on pop shops because those, like you said, like those bigger enterprise 3PLs I've worked with before. They've gone through so such heavy like acquisition in, in general, I feel to get to like be an enterprise fulfillment that the tech doesn't work well together. So they even though they're like a three PL, they're acting more as a four PL through acquisition. Like we had a warehouse who had like an OMS but didn't line up perfectly with the WMS, and so I said like, hey, I had a hundred units in stock, like I actually have zero units because they're WMS and like, oh well, that doesn't sync up. I'm like, how would I know that like what you're displaying here doesn't actually mean that and whatnot. Right. Um, and those yeah. bottom pops, I think if you can get good tech. To work with, like if you're doing like a multi-channel fulfillment, which I'm not sure your take on it. I'm not a huge fan of multi-fulfillment, like multi-location fulfillment. Like for most brands, I think they jump into it too early, where they're like don't necessarily need to do that. Like just negotiate better shipping rates for the time being until you're doing tens of thousands of orders a month, most likely, unless you're doing a bigger product or whatever. Um, I think it sounds sexy to have multiple locations when you probably don't don't need them with the right fulfillment partner. Anyways, that was my tangent, but. Basically I think that these smaller boutique shops that you can't have that the same person picking your order or someone that's like dedicated in that warehouse to go fix that problem is huge because I've been down that rabbit hole forever. Where it's like, Where's this issue? Someone in in New York is talking to a person in Texas to tell the person over in I don't know, in, in California to pick the order. And I'm like, dude, that went through way too many people just to figure out where this order was. And it just gets lost in translation. That's where everyone is pissed off and that's where you get these bad, bad reps and free PLs. On, yeah.
0: on that note, what, um, this I did, hopefully is not a tricky question, but which <laughs> WMSs are you a fan of? I, there are so many out there. And honestly, I've seen quite too many warehouses say, oh, you know, all of them suck. We're going to make our own. And so I've seen some like homegrown. <laughs> um, I've seen, you know, some, some bigger ones. But then, uh, you know, uh, I'm curious, which ones have you? seen like work really well that you kind of recommend if a warehouse was like, Hey, dude, what do you, what do you think? What as far as like, we're making a switch, what would you recommend?
1: Yeah. So a lot, a lot goes into that depends necessarily what you're looking for, what you're fulfilling, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, generally speaking in e-commerce fulfillment, a good, uh, mix between, uh, kind of bang for your buck, best in class tech, good longevity to scale your, your business on. Um, you can think, Hero, Pacquiao, Lajua, um, uh, Luminous is a good cheaper option. Um, that's kind of up and coming as well. Um, DePosco is a good kind of upper mid-market option. Um, and those are kind of the main five players in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 3PL Central is a, a big name. They're now extensive. Um, They have very mixed reviews, like they're a popular option, but not necessarily like a super great option just from based off the feedback that we've gotten from 3PLs on our network. Um, Mm -hmm. But they have other pros that some of the WMSs that I just named um, don't offer as well. So there's pros and cons with any different one of those 3PLs that you use, or sorry, those WMSs that you use Mm -hmm. um, that you could scale a a very successful 3PL with any one of those options. Um, but the tech has gotten so, so, so much better um, within the course of the last five to seven years. Like whenever I started my 3PL, um, there was only a handful of options and we were one of Ship Hero's very first customers. Like mm. the Ship Hero product that we were originally starting with versus what they can offer now is wildly different. So it, it's it's become easier and easier to start up your own commercial grade, e-commerce fulfillment, warehousing uh, company than it ever has been.
2: That Ship like business strategy, I thought was so interesting when they're like, hey, we do fulfillment and now use our, our WMS. I thought that was genius, honestly. I was like, okay, that's... There There hasn't been a great WMS in that feature. That's very customer friendly. I feel like most of them are very archaic. They're very legacy uh, feeling, at least. It's like, dude, is this is built like on Microsoft 95 or Windows 95 or whatever. I was like, this is like very boxy and... All that stuff. So uh, that was like the, I was gonna, that's like the, one of the more like sexy WMSs I've seen come out that's like, oh, this is like, has a good UI to it, like, user interface and, and things like that. So that's,
1: yeah.
2: I'm stoked yeah. to hear they about They have
1: a great overall brand too.
2: Yeah. No, it's been, it's been fun working with them. And yeah. Same thing with Luminous. I'm excited. I'm, I'm very bullish on, on what they're up to um, as, as a whole with, with e commerce. Those are fun uh, ones I'm familiar with uh, as well. But Joe, like this has been so fun. I, I love just geeking out and I could do this like all day, just going down all the niches, all the <laughs> stuff of, of fulfillment. This is like what I get hyped about where everyone else is like, can be turning down the radio. I'm like, dude, turn it up. let's <laughs> let's talk more about all the intricacies of, of fulfillment. It's such a fun, interesting and diverse like industry. So thanks so much for for jumping on and sharing some of our insights of, of your insights with us. Um for people to learn more about fulfill.com and what you guys are doing, what's a good place for them to reach out to you and connect um and things like that.
1: Yeah, so I'm pretty active on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. So my name is Joe Speezak. Feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Uh, at Joe Speezy is my Twitter account. Um, and then fulfill.com, F-U-L-F-I-L-L.com is our website. Um, you know, we're very responsive, love to talk shop. Um, so if you have any questions or, you know, want to partner up somewhere, you know, never hesitate to reach out.
2: Perfect. Awesome. Well, Joe, thanks again. And we'll love to have you back here again and geek out a little bit more in the future.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, guys.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Joe.